Good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. We are so glad that you are here this Palm Sunday, whether you're here with us in this room or whether you're joining us on live stream. We are so glad that you are here. This week is Palm Sunday and next Sunday is Easter. And so we want you to hear all the details about Easter. Hey, Fellowship. April 4th is Easter Sunday, and as we make plans to worship the risen Christ, um, here's all of the offerings we have coming your way so that we can accommodate as many worshipers as possible on that special Sunday. As is our tradition, we'll have a sunrise service in the West Field on the Rogers campus at 7 a.m. Bring a chair and bring your blanket. Join us for that special time. At 8, 9, 10, and 11 a.m., we'll have services in our worship center. So join Mickey and the crew as we celebrate Christ. We'll offer children's ministry for children up to pre-K during that service. Uh, we'll also live stream the 10 a.m. service for those of you who want to worship from your living rooms. Hey, families, if you want to bring your children and your students, we have a family service at 9 10 and 11 a.m. out in the West Field. Join me and Houston Clifton and the family ministry team. Bring your own chair and blanket as we uh, celebrate Christ out there. And then Bentonville, we have a special service for you in Bentonville at 10 a.m. at Orchards Park. It's an outdoor service. Bring your chair, bring your blanket. If it rains, we will move that service into our family center here at the Rogers campus and it'll run at 9, 10, and 11. We're trying to get as many people as possible into a posture of worship on this most holy day for Christians here and around the world. And so make your plans and join us as we worship the risen Christ. Did you catch all that? There's a lot going on next Sunday, Easter Sunday morning. And if you didn't get a chance to write all that down, what you needed to know, you can go to our website and you'll find all the times and all the details on there. Also, one of our traditions here at Fellowship Bible Church is Good Friday observance of communion. And so in the training center chapel at the back of our campus on Good Friday, this coming Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., the chapel will be open and elements will be available for you to come in and just spend some time in prayer and remembrance through communion. Would you take a deep breath with me this morning? Breathe it in. Breathe it out. We come here this morning to worship our one true God, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week, and this morning we're gonna walk through the last week of Christ's life on this earth. We're gonna see the triumphal entry and then we're gonna see the Last Supper where Jesus led his disciples through this meal together and we'll have the opportunity to observe communion together this morning. And then we'll see his prayer in the garden and his arrest and his trials and his scourging. And then ultimately we'll see his death on the cross. And so would you join with me in prayer this morning as we prepare our hearts to hear the story. Father, we humble ourselves before your word. God, would we hear the story in a new and very real way this morning? May we use our sanctified imaginations. God, would you stir our hearts and our affections for the love of Christ in response to the story that you have revealed to us. God, may your kindness lead us to repentance in confession and worship and adoration of who you are and all that you have done. God, we acknowledge that you alone are worthy. So we offer you all honor, glory, and praise. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
the shadows deepen We do But do you know that all the dark Won't stop for light from getting through We do Do you wish that you could see it all was the first day of the week. And it was one of those days that Jesus got what he deserved here on earth. It was a short moment in time when Jesus received proper recognition, a rare moment in his earthly ministry where people saw him for who he truly was, and they gave a proper response. And it occurred just outside of Jerusalem as Jesus ushered in the last week of his life, 
A crowd gathered to receive him. It was a powerful and beautiful moment. And the gospel of Luke captures it well. It says, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, tell them the Lord needs it. Jesus would descend the Mount of Olives, not surrounded by an entourage or atop a horse prepared for war, but instead on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. It was in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, but also a, a statement on Jesus' humility. Jesus was not coming to town to overthrow the leadership, but to be a servant leader. After securing the colt, the story continues in verse 35. It says, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Jesus rode the colt down the mountain and towards the gates of the city. People began to gather and cover the road with their cloaks and palm branches. They rolled out the red carpet for the one that they believed to be the Messiah, the son of David. And the crowd began to welcome him with joyful praises and loud voices saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Other gospels add the word Hosanna, a shout of praise or adoration. And it bothered the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're worshiping you. And Jesus said to them, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. It was a moment of reverence and worship, a point in time of adoration and proclamation. The crowds recognized him as the promised Messiah and Savior. They adorned the robe in a, a, a carpet of cloaks and palm branches. They shouted, Hosanna. They shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And check this out. Jesus did not stop them. He allowed them to worship him and to adore him and to bow before him. It was a shift from his normal protocol of deflection of attention and praise. And why did he allow it? Because he's worthy. Because it was a right and appropriate response. Because he deserved it. In fact, the Pharisees tried to stop them from praising him. And Jesus said, if they stop the stones will cry out. Creation itself will cry out praises to the creator. And in this statement, Jesus confirmed his deity. He proclaimed that he is worthy of our worship, worthy of our reverence and our praise. And it was this moment that began the last week of Christ's life. Jesus would enter Jerusalem being worshiped by an adoring crowd. But by the end of the week, an angry mob would call for his death. Here, in this moment on Palm Sunday, he was deemed worthy of the crown. Later, he would be declared worthy of the cross. Here on Palm Sunday, uh, during what theologians call the triumphal entry, Jesus got what he deserved. Worship and adoration. Worship could be defined as seeing God as he truly is and then giving a proper response. The triumphal entry is a perfect picture of worship. King Jesus had arrived and his followers celebrated that arrival with praises and adoration. And I believe that's how we should begin our observance of Holy Week this year. So let's enter this week with a reverent posture of worship declaring our allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Would you stand with us as we sing? Father, as we enter into this most holy of weeks, we bow our hearts to you. 
We recognize you as worthy of our praise and we submit to you as our Lord and Master. to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God
Thursday. It was his last night and his last words that he shared with his men. And in one of the most iconic scenes in all of the scriptures, Jesus shared the Last Supper, a a private Passover meal held in the upstairs of a guest room of a Jerusalem home. In this upper room, they shared one last night of fellowship together. Jesus washed their feet. He taught them. He prayed with them and over them. And they shared the cup and the bread. Luke 22 describes it this way. Verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. This was a special evening, not only because it was his last time with his closest friends, but also it was special because it was the Passover meal, a holy observance for Jewish people. It was a time to look back at their history when Israel was delivered out of Egypt through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. And the meal was most often observed with family or closest of friends. And not only would this be the last earthly time Jesus observed the meal, but in this meal, he would reveal his true significance to his disciples. Jesus knew that in just a few hours, he would be arrested and soon he would die on a cross. He understood the importance of this evening, last night, last words. And in this moment, he would reveal himself as Savior. He would demonstrate his servant leadership by washing his disciples' feet. He would announce his coming suffering and departure from the earth. He would promise the coming Holy Spirit. And he would predict Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial. It was weighty stuff. The whole evening was charged with emotion and intensity. It was a powerful night, but the peace of the Passover meal ritual would soon be disrupted by confusion and darkness. And in a moment dripping with drama, Jesus took the Passover observance to a whole new level. Look at verse 19. It says that he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus wasn't just looking back at the time when the Israelites had to make bread in haste as they fled Egypt, or when they sprinkled the blood of the lamb on their doorpost in hopes that the wrath of God, which was intended for Pharaoh and the Egyptians, would pass over their homes. No, Jesus wasn't just looking back. He was now looking forward to what would happen the next day. He was looking forward to the cross. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. He was announcing that he was the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. In this moment, he was announcing that he was the substitutionary atonement that would appease the wrath of God. He was pointing forward to the cross. It was a moment of revelation. When he said he was eager to share this meal with them, this is the moment that he had been looking forward to all the days of his earthly life, but even for 1,400 years since the Israelites had left Egypt. He was instituting the new covenant. He was unveiling his role as the one who would suffer on their behalf. He would become their Passover lamb. 
And not only did this moment infuse the Passover Seder meal with, with greater significance, but it was on this evening that Jesus instituted a sacred and symbolic remembrance that we observe even to this day. The Lord's Supper or Communion. The bread that points to the life he lived, the cup that points to the death he died. It was a moment that was so powerful, that was so significant that the Lord wanted us to remember and observe it for as long as we are here on earth. And we intend to do that right now. So would you take your communion elements and for those of you following along at home in your living room, grab your communion elements. And when you're ready with those, would you stand with me? And before we take the elements, would you take a moment and bow your head and bow your heart and spend a moment of private prayer with the Lord and confess your sins to him. This is the bread. This represents the body of Christ. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born in a manger in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary. He was raised by earthly parents in Nazareth. He was identified by a prophet named John the Baptist. He was 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. He was without sin and attested to by signs and wonders. He spoke the truth of God. He displayed the power of God. And he revealed the heart of God. He lived the life we could not live. This is his body. Take and eat. This is the cup. The cup represents the blood of Christ. Not only did he live the life we could not live, he died the death we should have died. His blood was shed for the substitution of our death. By grace, through faith, it atones for our sins. It purchases our forgiveness and it washes us white as snow. His blood reconciles us back to God and it offers new mercies each morning. This it's the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink.
Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Let's lift this up together. What can wash away my sin? We sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? We sing. Nothing but the After the intimate Passover meal with his men, 
Jesus led them to a familiar place, the Garden of Gethsemane, to pray. And it was there that Jesus poured out his heart to the Father in prayer, expressing his overwhelming anguish about what was to come. And it was there that he experienced the sting of betrayal when Judas led Christ's enemies into the place of prayer to arrest him. The Gospel of Luke says this in chapter 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. It was a familiar place and time for Jesus to gather with his men at the end of the day for prayer. Judas was not with them, but he knew where Jesus was and when he would be there. Soon he would join them, but it wouldn't be for prayer. Jesus sought solitude in the garden, but he also asked his men to pray with him and to pray for him. It, it seemed like a simple request, but the men had been through a lot over the course of the evening. It was late into the night and they were weary. Jesus asked them to be faithful in prayer and to resist the temptation to drift off into sleep. And walking just a short distance away, Jesus knelt in prayer and poured out his heart to the Father. He prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This was a moment of vulnerability and transparency for the Lord Jesus before his father. He was in anguish about what was to come on the cross when he would bear the weight of the sin of mankind. It would be placed upon him to bear the wrath of God. The Gospel of Matthew describes him as being overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. His sorrow was so great that the Father sent an angel from heaven to minister to him and to strengthen him. Jesus asked the Lord to take this cup from him. He asked if there was another way. But in the end, he proclaimed, not my will, but yours be done. He would face the trials. He would face the mockery, the flogging, and ultimately go to the cross in submission and for the Father's glory. Even in anguish, he lived in submission to his Father. As Jesus intensified his time of prayer, his sweat was like drops of blood. The emotional stress of the moment, the sorrow, the distress was manifesting itself physically. Look at verse 47. The time of anguish and prayer would be interrupted by his betrayer. Judas would arrive to the garden with a mob to capture Jesus. Verse 47 says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Judas identified Jesus. He became a witness against him. A gesture of affection was at this moment turned into a signal of treachery. Christ's followers attempted to, to defend him and to rescue him. Swords were drawn, but Jesus called for a quick ceasefire. And with that, he intentionally placed himself under the authority of the soldiers and he was arrested. It's difficult to grasp. Jesus bound and taken into custody. Jesus placed in a prison cell. Jesus called a criminal. The holy one, the sinless one, was considered to be an offender of the state. Why would this happen? Why did this injustice occur? Because he allowed it to. For you and for me. You see, Jesus, who was innocent, was arrested so that we who were guilty could be set free. 
He was bound and taken captive so that we could be freed from our guilt and our shame. Our guilty verdict would be assigned to him. The interruption in the garden did not catch Jesus off guard. He knew it would happen, and he was willing to walk the road before him. Not my will, but yours be done. Would you pray with me? Father, in this moment, would you remind us of your intentional suffering on our behalf? Lord, would you take us into this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane to feel the anguish, to feel the weight of what you took on for us? This morning, I want to invite you to, in your imagination, or just with your eyes closed, to be in the garden with Jesus in that intimate moment with his Father in prayer. And hear these words, hear these lyrics to these songs as a prayer from Jesus to his Father. See, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And in this moment, He needed his father. He needed to be with him. He needed to know that he was present with him and all that he would go through.
Not my will, but yours be done. After being betrayed and arrested, Jesus was falsely accused, unjustly convicted, and brutally punished. His trials were a mockery of justice. He appeared before the Jewish religious leaders, and in a rush to judgment, Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin charged Jesus with blasphemy, and they pronounced him guilty and sentenced him to death. But they had no authority to carry out the sentence, so they handed Jesus over to the Roman officials. Matthew 27 says this, early in the morning all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Pilate, the ruling Roman official in Jerusalem found no basis for Jesus being guilty or worthy of a death sentence. But the Jewish religious leaders were adamant that Jesus be executed for his so-called crimes, and they would not take no for an answer. Pilate, he continued to investigate the situation, and upon hearing that Jesus was actually from Galilee, Pilate, the governor, sent him to Herod the Tetrarch to face his charges as he would have jurisdiction over that region. This enabled Pilate to remain neutral yet appease the Jewish religious leaders. But in similar fashion, upon investigating, Herod found no reason to hold Jesus. Neither of the Roman ruling officials viewed Jesus as a criminal or certainly did not view him as worthy of receiving a death sentence. So Herod sent him back to Pilate. The tension in the city was growing. The Jewish religious leaders gathered an angry mob to undergird their accusations. The streets that on Sunday were filled with praises now were filled with hatred. The religious leaders demanded a guilty verdict. They incited the mob to call for the death of Jesus. Pilate's last strategy was to make a peace offering. He was trying to avoid a miscarriage of justice, so he offered to release a prisoner of Jewish descent in celebration in honor of the Passover. And he suggested that it be Jesus. But the crowd refused him, and they became even more insistent, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And finally, in a moment of exasperation, Pilate gave them what they asked for a guilty verdict with a sentence of death. And in a symbolic gesture, Pilate washed his hands before the crowd, absolving himself of any wrongdoing, and he gave them what they wanted. He handed Jesus over to be punished and then crucified. And so Jesus, falsely accused, unfairly convicted, and unjustly sentenced, was ushered away to face his punishment. Matthew 27 describes it in brutal detail. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. And they put a staff in his right hand. And then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. And then they spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. It's hard to fathom. It's hard to imagine how he was mistreated. They mocked Jesus, 
stripping him of his clothes, giving him a, a phony royal costume, a robe, a crown, and a scepter. After adorning him with the imitation attire, they insincerely bowed before him and their counterfeit submission, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They made fun of him. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was being belittled and ridiculed by these Roman soldiers. They teased him. They laughed at him. And then the emotional abuse turned physical. They spit on him. They beat him. It's hard to imagine how quickly things had changed for Jesus. The week began with people bowing before him in worship and now they bow before him in mockery, rejecting him, beating him, calling for his crucifixion. The scriptures tell us that after they punished him, they took him outside the city to a place called Golgotha where he would be nailed to a cross between two criminals. The prophet Isaiah spoke of this moment Hundreds of years earlier, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, he said, He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and held in low esteem.
was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. 